John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, and just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And if you'll flip over to John 19, 14, 19, 14. Nineteen fourteen. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He, uh, that's Pontius Pilate, he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word this morning. When Leo Tolstoy was nine years old, he was convinced that God could give him the ability to fly. So he leapt out of a window. Thankfully, he did not kill himself in the fall, and he eventually overcame his disappointment with God. Now, have you ever been or are you now disappointed with God because he did not meet your expectations? Of course, Leo Tolstoy's expectations were very unrealistic. But maybe God has not answered your prayers or maybe given you the life that you feel that you have desired or deserved. Maybe you're like Fantine in Les Mis, where she sings, I thought my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. Maybe you feel the same way this morning. Maybe you're even angry at God. Well, how do you deal with disappointment with God? That's the question I want us to consider this morning. The people in Jerusalem ended up very disappointed with Jesus. On one day, they were shouting to Jesus, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then just days later, they shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him. One moment, they were looking to Jesus to save them. The next, they wanted to kill him. Why? Well, it's because Jesus did not meet their expectations. What were their expectations? What, what were they looking for in Jesus? Well, in John 12, that we just read, they are shouting Psalm 118. We read a portion of it for our call to worship this morning. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Hosanna means, oh, save, we pray. Oh, save, we pray. So they're calling on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, 
to save them. They, the, the crowd is correctly identifying Jesus as the Messiah or the Christ. That word uh, is the, means the same thing. Uh, the Greek version of Christ, the Greek word Christ and the Hebrew word Messiah both mean anointed one, anointed one. And anointing with oil was something that was done to set apart a person for a special place or function like a king uh, was a, would be anointed with oil. Priests were anointed with oil and prophets also were sometimes anointed with oil. They were set apart for a special, special task or function by God. And the kings of Israel uh, were sometimes referred to as the anointed of the Lord, which literally translated says the Messiah of Yahweh, the Messiah of Yahweh, the anointed of God or the anointed of the Lord. And see, these people are referring to not just any old king, but of course the promised Messiah, the very special figure promised in the Old Testament to be the ultimate Davidic king. God promised David that his royal line would go on forever and fulfilled in the person of the Messiah. And the Old Testament teaches us that the Messiah is set apart by God, appointed to redeem God's people and to bring judgment on his foes. He has given dominion over the nations and all his activities, the real agent is Yahweh himself, God working through his Messiah. And the Christ or the Messiah is the great deliverer. So they were correct in identifying Jesus as the Messiah. But if you read, we didn't read this section of Psalm 118, but they would have been thinking this and probably singing the whole psalm uh, as they were uh, riding in with Jesus into uh, Jerusalem. In Psalm 118, 10 through 12, it says, All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You see, these People were rightly identifying Jesus as a king, and, and the, they were calling him the king of Israel. They were expecting him to come in and cut off their enemies, namely the Romans. The Romans occupied the land. They were in charge. We read about Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor there in Jerusalem, and they were hoping that Jesus was going to cut off the Romans. Look at verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So he had power to raise the dead. Now if you've got power to raise the dead, that means that you can certainly handle the Romans if you can do that. They wanted deliverance from the Romans. And so what's going on here in John 12 is something of a political pep rally. There's nationalism going on. They're wanting uh, Israel to rise up, led by Jesus, the King, Messiah. And they were waving palm branches, like, the, like our children just did this morning. Uh, the palm branch was a symbol for I Israel. It's a, it was a national symbol, kind of like our bald eagle. So they were very much thinking of Jesus as an earthly king. See, the problem they were having was that their scope was limited. They wanted a temporal, local deliverance. 
See, but Jesus didn't come to earth to simply to fight Roman oppression. He had a much larger, much more profound mission that he was on when he rode into Jerusalem. Now, when he was arrested and the people saw that he was not going to beat the Romans, here's, here's Jesus bloodied and, and beaten and being mocked and Pilate saying, Behold, you're king. He, he's uh, just sticking it to him. This is the guy you thought was your king. Look how pitiful and pathetic he is and how we have dest- we're destroying him. So they would have seen that. And that's why the people quickly turn on Jesus and reject him and cry out, Just crucify him. Get rid of him. He is of no use to us if he's not going to do what we want him to do. That's why they, were, they chose Barabbas. Barabbas was a, a revolutionary. He was a freedom fighter. He had killed some people, and he was, he was steal from the Romans. Now, there's a guy that was getting things done. Let's get that guy, not this weak person in the, in the person of Jesus. He's no use. He's not going to do what we want him to do. So you see there, their expectations were pointed right there at their immediate locale and their immediate circumstances when Jesus was doing something greater than that that they didn't have any perception of at the moment. Now this morning I want us to listen carefully to this statement about those people. They were expecting something that Jesus did not intend to give them because he was seeking to give them something so much greater. Let that sink in for a moment. They were expecting something that Jesus did not intend to give them because he was seeking to give them something so much greater. See, could it be that we are guilty of the same type of thinking with the crowds in Jerusalem? Is our scope limited? Are we expecting something from Jesus that he doesn't intend to give us because he wants to give us something so much greater than we're expecting. He's got a bigger plan than our plan, a bigger purpose than maybe our immediate needs. See, they misidentified the problem. The problem wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't that that they were an oppressed people. Uh, it wasn't the Romans or any other political entity. See, their, their greatest problem, our greatest problem, is sin. Therefore, Jesus not, did not come to give them an immediate political deliverance. He came to deliver them from sin. And he did not come simply to be the king of Israel. He came to set up an everlasting kingdom that encompasses the entire universe. All of the earth. And he's going to reverse the effects of sin in the world. He's going to bring in a whole new heavens and new earth. That's his plan. But they were just worried about the Romans. Why did Jesus ride into Jerusalem? See, they thought it was to defeat their enemies, the Romans. They thought it was to further their kingdom of Israel. Why did they get angry at Jesus? Because he didn't do either of those things. Why do we get disappointed and angry with God? Well, there's 
two reasons I want to highlight today. First, we get disappointed and angry with God because he does not immediately defeat our perceived enemies. Jesus didn't immediately defeat the Romans. In fact, if you're looking at the circumstances around there, you would very much say, well, they, the Romans defeated Jesus and killed him on the cross. Well, think about your perceived enemies. Perhaps it's relationship problems or health problems or financial trouble. Those, those are your Roman oppressors. Those are the things that you see every day that weighs heavily upon you. And, and you want desperately to be delivered from those things. You cry out to the Lord, Hosanna, <laughs> oh, save me from this, I pray. Save me from my circumstances. Your circumstances may be very difficult, but you have to recognize that your main problem is not your circumstances, as horrible as they might be. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive here when I say your problem isn't circumstances, it's sin. Some of you live in very difficult circumstances that are not your fault. You're possibly being sinned against by someone else. Or other people's sin is a huge problem in your life. Some of you are struggling with diseases, and it's not because of anything you've done. It's not because you've sinned and you're being punished for it. All disease and death is the result of sin in the world, the brokenness of the world. We're subject to death since sin entered the world when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Sometimes it is our fault. Sometimes we do things that cause us to have problems. And sometimes Jesus will not deliver us from our difficult circumstances because he's doing something so much bigger in our lives and in the world. Just one example is the fact that sometimes he uses those trials to refine us. I'll just give you four or five different scriptures where this imagery is used. First Peter 1. Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tested by fire. Job 23, 10. He knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Isaiah 48. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. See, sometimes the Lord is working in us to refine us to make us more like Christ, to, to deepen our faith. See, what happens when your circumstances come crashing down on you? Are you turning away from the Lord or are you running to Him? Are you putting your faith in Him and continuing to trust Him in spite of the difficulties? Jesus is the prime example of someone who was not delivered from his difficult circumstances, though he was sinless. And a lot of well, the greatest good that was ever done was accomplished through his suffering. See, Jesus delivered, is delivering, and will deliver you 
from sin. And that is your greatest problem. In fact, if you're a Christian, your greatest enemies have already been defeated. Sin, hell, and death. These things are, are, are things that we're going to be free with, delivered from. One day you will be delivered from all your circumstantial problems, from your relationship problems, your health problems, your financial problems. All those things will go away in the new heavens and new earth because sin will be done away with. The biggest problem will be eradicated. We won't be in the presence of sin or the brokenness of the world anymore. So see, when we're going through difficult circumstances, it's helpful to stop instead of shaking our fist at God to look to God and try to wonder what, what might God be doing it's bigger than I can see through these circumstances. Of course, Romans 8.28 is a lot of people's favorite verse for a reason because it's a great reminder. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. God is working out something great in your life if you're, if you're trusting in Him. And, and in the midst of the difficult circumstances, don't be angry or disappointed with God. Broaden your scope. Look at the bigger picture. Trust the one who has power, yes, to do things in your life, to change your circumstances, but he also has wisdom to know what's best for you in whatever circumstance you're in. How, how can I follow the Lord more closely through this difficult circumstance? And the second thing that causes us to get disappointed and angry with God is because he does not further our own kingdoms. You see, the people... Uh, in, in Jesus' day, wanted their own kingdom, particularly the nation of Israel, to rise up and be the great nation that it once was. And, of course, that's not why Jesus came. Earlier in John, when he does the miracle of uh, feeding the 5,000, at the end of that story there in John, it tells us that they wanted to make him king by force. And so he goes off by himself to pray. They knew they wanted him to be the king. They, they were beginning to identify him as that one that would free them from the Romans, and Jesus didn't want to do that. That wasn't why he came. See, some people are disappointed and angry with God because he doesn't meet our agenda. They had an agenda. Jesus didn't meet that agenda. Therefore, they turned on him. Have you ever said in your heart, Lord, I do this and this and this for you, why won't you give me what I'm asking for? Or I'm a good person, I deserve better than this. Or have you said, Lord, if you'll get me out of this, I'll go to church on Sunday or I'll tithe or I'll fill in the blank with whatever deal we're making with God. But what you're actually trying to do in those circumstances is manipulate God. And that can't be done. If you try you will certainly be frustrated, disappointed, and angry because you cannot manipulate God. You're going to be severely disappointed. So drop your agenda. Get rid of your conditions and stop trying to manipulate the Lord. God is not your co-pilot. That's the worst bumper sticker there is. And if you got it on your car, I'm sorry. <laughs> Scrape it off. See, God is the pilot. He's the pilot. He's not a co-pilot. If you invite him to be the co-pilot, he's not even going to get on the plane. He is God, and you can't keep him in your pocket and pull him out whenever you want to do whatever you want him to do for you. He's the king of kings. He rules over all. 
or he doesn't rule at all. See, Jesus is doing something bigger in your life and in the world than your tiny little agenda. See? And you must plug into his agenda. Don't come to God with your agenda. Say, Lord, what's your agenda in the world and how can I be a part of that? Here I am, Lord, send me, like Isaiah prayed. See, God's building an everlasting kingdom in Christ. And he's not the assistant foreman foreman building your tiny kingdom. No, he, he invites you to be a part of his kingdom. Environmentalists have a bumper sticker slogan. You've certainly seen this bumper sticker. Think globally, act locally. You know, you're thinking about the good of the world and you're supposed to do things around wherever you live uh, to, to better the world globally. Well, we tend to think as Christians, we tend to think locally, my own circumstances, but Jesus is thinking globally. He's got a global reclamation project going on, a universal one that's going to end with the new heavens and new earth. That's what he's doing. That's where he's trending. We're going to be with him forever. That's what we're living for. And to act locally in that respect means to walk with him daily, trusting in him following his agenda for your life. See, we live in the moment. We think today, but Jesus thinks eternity. We think individualistically. Jesus thinks corporately. A kingdom that encompasses people from every tongue and tribe and nation. 1 Corinthians 2 reminds us, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be beyond our greatest imaginations what God is doing in the world. So you, you really can't know God as God when you place conditions on the relationship. You, you'll only get angry and disappointed. Paul Tripp says, Faith is not telling God what you want and believing he'll deliver it. No, faith is God telling what you need and you believe it. Let me read that one again because it's really good. Faith is not telling God what you want and believing he'll deliver it. No, faith is God telling you what you need and you believe it. Are you listening to God or are you just talking to him and telling him what to do? See, you need to let go of your conditions. Well, how do you do that? How do you let go of your conditions and trust him? Well, remember, he loved you without condition. He didn't say, you you need to fulfill this list of things, my demands, and then I'll love you. No, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Because he's got a big plan for you. How do you respond to that? Well, Palm Sunday is a strange celebration, isn't it, in the church calendar? They shouted because they thought he was going to deliver them. And we shouted because he has delivered us. So we've turned it around. The events that we're celebrating are much different after the cross and the resurrection than what those people who were actually there praising Jesus as he went into Jerusalem it's completely different. It's been turned around because we see we have, a, we have greater light. We've, it's been revealed to us that God is doing something great in the world beyond our expectations. I want to encourage you today to trust the Lord. 
He's someone to worship and serve, not someone with whom we should ever be angry or disappointed because he loves us. He cares for us, and he has a wonderful plan for our lives. Ask him what his plan is. Come to him and put your faith in him and trust in him and drop your agenda and plug into his agenda and what he's doing in the world. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, we do thank you for your word and, and just for the encouragement that it is to us. And we thank you that, that you help us when we get selfish and self-centered and, and we, we get disappointed because things aren't going like we want them to go. But, Lord, I pray that we would stop and, and that we would put our trust in you. You are our loving, heavenly Father. And as we reminded ourselves earlier in the service, we've been adopted into your family. We've been justified. And we're being sanctified. You're doing these things in our lives and have done those things in our lives. And, Lord, we pray that we would rest in you, trust in you, and that our hosannas wouldn't have an agenda, but they would be for your glory and your service. And Lord, if anybody here doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would, they would come to you and put their trust in you and realize that you have a plan, a, a wonderful plan, a big plan for the whole universe that you're doing. And a, we have a hope and a future. I pray, Lord, that they would know that and embrace that and put their trust in you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.